You're listening to Market Scale Health. This is Lisa Vogt, and today I'm talking to Dima Papa. Dima is the founder and CEO of Invio. Dima, thanks for being with me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Let's start out with some background about the services that Invio provides. When you meet someone for the first time and they ask you the dreaded question, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Well, my background is in the clinical trial space, and paper is a huge problem for clinical trials. Um, a tremendous amount of drug development involves flying to a hospital, sitting down, and looking at a piece of paper to do data quality control, which is a very painful process, but a very important process for making sure you can get through the FDA. So what we're really driven towards is two things. One, we're getting rid of the paper in the clinical trial space. And two, we're introducing automation to make that process even better. How did you get involved with clinical trials? That, that seems like a real specialty. It's somewhat by design. Uh, I did a dual undergrad in biology and finance. And interestingly, I was originally thinking of agricultural biotech, but I had a uh, significant other at the time who came down with a thyroid cancer, unfortunately. And uh, that experience really influenced me towards actual uh, biomedical research. And so I changed the direction. Um, you know, I believe that science is one of the best tools that we have to learn about the world. And so you know, that's something I, I'm very committed to, but I would also make a terrible scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't have the focus for sustained pipetting. So um, I thought that I could contribute in a different way by bringing a little bit more of a organizational element into the research world. And so, you know, that was the plan and it went really well. I ended up doing clinical trial and regulatory work for about 10 years um, before this problem became something that I felt a real uh, compulsion to solve. So this experience with the thyroid cancer, what did that expose you to? Like what experiences did you have that that eventually led you into this clinical trial path? Well, if you think about it, she was 22 at the time. Not typically in age where you have a lot of experience with the healthcare system under ordinary circumstances. And, you know, certainly I hadn't myself either. And so seeing both, you know, the challenges of navigating that, but also really the importance of the high quality care that comes out of it. And realizing that that all stems from evidence-based medicine, in other words, you know, clinical research, that really impressed upon me the importance of that space. So I think um, there wasn't any single experience that really uh, catalyzed an interest in that area beyond just a general, you know, firsthand recognition of how important it really is. It gave you real exposure to this industry and to this process that someone else in their 20s wouldn't have had access to, I suppose. So to better understand Invio, if you were to bring on a new customer tomorrow, how would your company help with the clinical trials process? It's a pretty complicated workflow. There's a lot of checks and controls at the start uh, involving some of the regulatory and the ethical uh, elements of the study. And so what we would do is depending on if we were working on the industry side or on the research site side, and that's a pretty important distinction between those two, we would either help with them running that process internal to their research site or help with providing the documents necessary to stand up a study to get to the place where they could start to enroll patients. That's a pretty big lift, uh, especially considering that a lot of research is so-called multi-center, meaning that you've got maybe 10, 20, 100 hospitals involved in the research, and they all have to go through this process at each site to be able to start uh, seeing and collecting data on patients. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first step. Uh, and then, you know, once that's done, you know, primarily that's that's done without paper with our system. Right now, it's a lot of shipping binders across the country and, you know, sending email attachments and pretty loose management process. So we really provide a single channel 
bidirectional channel for handling um, those handoffs and the document control that you need to do. After that point, once patients are seen, and this is something that's really unique to what Invio does, is we start to manage that the patient documents as well. Typically, what you see in the industry is that there's a lot of shadow charts. Much of the information comes from the electronic health record systems. And so being that if you're on the industry side, you don't have direct access to a lot of that information, um, which is why you know paper is often the interoperability standard there. People will print EHR records to do verification against study data that was collected. You know, again, very important process for ensuring that the data is of good quality so that you can get the FDA to you know, ultimately approve your medical product, hopefully, um, assuming it's safe and you can demonstrate its effectiveness. But you know, again, we cut out a lot of the, um, the paper that's involved in that process as well. Our take is why print this and file it in a binder somewhere that a person has to fly to when you could simply serve it up in a regulatory compliant cloud, so HIPAA, FDA compliant system and avoid the need to fly to every single hospital every four to eight weeks. Wow, that sounds like an incredible amount of overhead that you're saving people. And when you think about the future of clinical trials and the products that could be introduced, what are you most excited about? The interesting thing about the space is that because you're working with a lot of really messy, unstructured data, the reliance has really been on people to do the legwork. You know, oftentimes you'll find these medical records, you'll have a person transcribe information by hand um, from one system to another. And then the verification is the reverse of that. The person comes down, they look at the transcribed data point, they compare it against the original data, and that tells you whether there's an issue with your data or if it's acceptable. If you're looking at a large phase three study, that could be easily in excess of 3 million data points that people are pushing around. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities for automation to come into the space, but we have to work through you know, kind of the logistical challenges of of getting to a place where the data is accessible and operational. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there's some really exciting opportunities in some other areas for automation, like clinical trial enrollment. We have some colleagues from a company called Deep Six that does some really exciting work with using AI to identify patients to enroll for clinical trials. That's a big challenge in the clinical trial space, and I think that they're doing incredible work in that area. Tell me a little bit more about that. How, how are they using artificial intelligence to find the right patients? Yeah, so typically when you're dealing with a clinical trial, um, there's a set of so-called inclusion and exclusion criteria, and they're defined in the research plan, a document called a protocol that talks about you know, who should be in this study. And oftentimes that's based on a couple of considerations, uh, the primary one being patient safety. Um, if you have a patient that's got a drug that's going to have a negative interaction that they're taking, you don't really want them to be on the study. That's going to be a bad outcome for that patient. If they have certain other medical conditions, certain variations of their disease, it may not be somebody that you want to enroll because they may end up being hurt by their participation. So you're really looking to find people who will both give you relatively clean data at a manageable level of risk. It's very difficult to get rid of all the risk, but you know it's it's an important thing to really think about. And so what their system can do is say, okay, here's all of these complex criteria that a person has to meet to be included. Uh, with our system, we can have that crawl through the EHR and flag people who might meet those criteria and then hand that off to a person. So it's labor saving on the front end and that they don't have to spend time looking for those patients. And then they can go from the medical center, approach them and say, hey, there's a study. Do you want to participate? Uh, enrollment's persistently one of the big challenges in the clinical trial space. Um, it's important to have that handled on the front end. There's also a lot of administrative effort that really takes people's attention away from the work needed to enroll patients. And so that's a little bit more the angle that we're working from is cutting out the administrative overhead so that we can focus on higher value tasks. 
Yeah, fantastic. Can you give an estimate? How many products do you think are going through clinical trials in the United States right now? So fortunately, there's a really great website called clinicaltrials.gov. Okay. And if you're doing any human subjects research in the United States, under federal law, you're obligated to post your study on that site. Um, it turns out that the estimates there are pretty good. I think last time I checked, there was something like 13,000 industry-sponsored trials uh, being conducted in the U.S., and so that would be um, phase one through three, so essentially pharmaceutical studies. So there's quite a few of them out. Amazing. Do you have a sense of how much you can shorten the clinical trial process? Or maybe it's not that you're shortening it, but you're making it easier as they move through the flow. How would you describe that? I mean, I think, to be honest, um, easier is shorter. The duration is certainly an issue. If you look at um, the time it takes to bring a drug to market, on average, it's something like 10 years. It's a very long time to go through the trial process. And a lot of that is simply, you know, once you collect the data, you've got to clean it at the very end of the study. And so going through, you know, the average clinical trial duration is about 25 months. And then at the end of that process, you might be doing, you know, data cleaning that's six months long. And so if you could have cleaner data at the end of the study, that's a really significant reduction in the, the total duration of the study. And I think that it's just closing the feedback loop. Because if you look at the process of, transcribing and transcription checking for data, you're looking at, you know, typically you'll have your so-called monitor, who's the industry representative who goes to the site, visiting every site every four to eight weeks. That's traditionally about the um, interval that we see. And so what happens is when they come into the site visit, they check through this data and they say, does it match? Okay. There's an issue though. They're not really able to change it. They have to issue what's called a query to the site. And the site person then has to go through and resolve that data issue. So typically, you know, you can't verify that that's done until your next site visit. Mm -hmm. Unless you've got a really, really solid coordinator, which happens sometimes. Uh, and those guys do some really amazing work. You know, so typically what you're looking at ultimately is like an eight to 16 week cycle to close out questions about the data and that accrues over the life of the study. So by the end, any unresolved data issues, you've got to tackle them. Yeah. Okay, Dima, let me ask you about a, a few technology trends that we're hearing a lot about and that, that are very present in our lives right now. First is artificial intelligence. You already, you already talked about that. But second, let me ask you about smartphones. We're all pretty much attached to our smartphones these days and apps so that you can work with people mm -hmm. on a distributed basis, people who are in different geographies. Are you tapping into the power of the smartphones or apps? Yeah. Um, mobile is extremely powerful. You know, I think for the professional on the go, having access to the information you need on your phone is very powerful. But I think that's just kind of general business productivity. I think the somewhat more interesting shift that's happening there, and you know, for me, particularly in a clinical trial context, is the patient interaction that you can do with smartphones. Um, it's funny to me because I feel like even five, you know, certainly 10 years ago, we were trying to get patients who are on trials to be essentially keeping a journal of the medication that they're taking or any health effects that they're having. And so we're giving you know, folks, palm pilots that they would be holding and trying to enter this data into. Now, most people seem to have a device that's perfectly capable of collecting that information in their pocket. And I think that uh, we're starting to see the gains from that in the sense that while follow-up for people in clinical trials used to be very difficult, now essentially everybody has a tool that's needed for continuing that information collection. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. And then one more technology that I'm going to throw out is blockchain. Is blockchain a factor in your work? Um, not for what we do. And I think that the, the biggest reason for that is that, you know, we're dealing with extremely sensitive proprietary information that's not really going to be 
exchanged except outside of a very controlled context. You know, it'll pretty much be a handoff from, you know, drug or device company um, to any agencies doing the research to FDA. It's a very closed loop. Um, so I think that in our context, there's not really a lot of great use cases for blockchain. But I think that if you go out a couple levels, um, you start to see some more interesting things. If you were to be putting together public repositories of de-identified research data that you wanted to share, for example, between researchers at different academic medical centers, you know, having a mechanism like blockchain in place to do that can be really beneficial. Um, right now, it's a lot of you know Excel files and Google Drive sheets that are flying around, and so you know you don't have that kind of um, data lineage that you really want to see when you're dealing with um, biomedical research. So I think that's kind of um, you know a second degree area. It's not specifically in the clinical trial space that we play in. That's much more uh, industry focused. But from a general biomedical research context, I think there's some interesting use cases there. And then going beyond that, you know, we've speculated about what are electronic health records going to look like, you know, maybe 10 years from now. Right now, while you sort of notionally own your health information and hospitals are you know, supposed to give it to you if you request it, it's really kind of out of the hands of patients. And so it's pretty easy to envision a model where, you know, maybe everybody owns their own health records and they're interoperable in the sense of, you know, you can basically bring them to any facility that you go to for medical care instead of having to have the record sent under the current you know, HIPAA framework. Right. And so I think um, that would be a really big shift, you know, first for healthcare generally, um, but also for healthcare adjacent field like clinical trials, because that would really change the model for how we access and interact with that patient data that we're collecting. Great. And Dima, my last question, when you think about the future of clinical trials and how uh, a more efficient process can impact our healthcare, what makes you most excited? What, what inspires you the most and really keeps you motivated to keep moving your company forward? I think there's one number that comes to mind uh, immediately is 26,000. That's the number of patients that are dying every year waiting just for new oncology medicines to come to market. So, you know, there's huge financial costs for those doing clinical development, you know, it's like $10 billion of waste and $3 billion of lost opportunity costs are, you know, low estimates from what I've heard. But I think that if you really look at it from the human element, that's a tremendous loss. 26,000 people just for one area of research, oncology. Yeah. It's a lot like what got me into the clinical trial space in the first place. You know, this is a really important thing and we're doing a disservice to these patients by not using the best technology that's available to us to make these trials happen more efficiently. Right. Well, Dima, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And you're, you're obviously making a big impact on our healthcare system. And I applaud you for that. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Today, I've been talking to Dima Papa. He's the founder and CEO of Invio. Thank you for listening to the Market Scale Health Podcast. Go to marketscale.com slash industries to listen to more podcasts or to subscribe to Market Scale Publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts on your favorite industries.